I say the legacy of Longbow Hunter is every time you turn on CW Network and see this guy wearing the hood, I'm the guy who put that there. Welcome to Mex Flintayo. Uh, this is our eighth episode. It's me, as always, the true outlaw of comics, Ramon Villalobos, with, you know, some are saying take them or leave them, Daniel Lizari. I, I think I proved myself oh, that's... last episode. I've been, I, like, the streets are saying something completely different in this, I mean, this I haven't time. seen that, but if you say so. I, I, I heard it. I went out. I heard it. Yeah, I saw somebody say that your nickname is Ir- Daniel Irizari Irizari. Like your la- your middle name is your last name is your nickname, which I don't know if I agree with. But that I don't know. The, it's it's funny actually that my I don't know if that's the case in in Mexico, but uh, in Puerto Rico, I'm just used to having two last mm-hmm. names, so I'm very used to having my two last names together and when people see that my uh, that i write my name daniel irisario kendo they'll be like oh nice middle name irisari <laughs> and it's clearly my first last name right yes so i've gotten that we actually got a few reviews i'll read them later i don't want to like you know i don't want to make this too long the introduction i just saw like i checked in just no to... no let's let's but carry yeah, so on today we're joined by a person that i went on their podcast a few years ago when I did Nighthawk, but, um, you know, ever since we've, we've been exchanging, you know, uh, DMs talking on the side, you know, we're friends on Twitter now. That's like I am with everybody. You know, we talk once we're friends, but I was really excited to have her on the show when I saw that she was going to take part in, um, a community organizing conference called Roots Camp. And mm-hmm. so anyways, yeah, we're, we're talking this week with Ilana Levin from Organizing 2.0 and Graphic Policy Radio. And welcome, Ilana. Hey, I'm so excited to have you reach out and excited to be here. And uh, obviously, I'm a fan of podcasts that are all about like comics and political thought and activism, because that that's where I'm at, too. That's 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 the Graphic Policy Radio beat as well. And uh, excited to have an excuse to to come and join you right yeah i know when we talked about the nighthawk stuff i remember that was like you know we 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 talked about that and it was when i was doing interviews for like you know that book but a lot of people didn't want to talk about the politics of it but i remember really liking <laughs> when we did it and you know you were all very like well researched and you know it was like a, just a it was a good show so i was like oh man like if we can uh if we could get somebody smart to talk to us on this one, it would be pretty good because me and Daniel are kind of dumb. What? No. Yeah, this is the opposite of researched. <laughs> no, you guys are not dumb. And like, but the thought that anybody would even want to talk about Nighthawk and not lead with like, dude, 
they're fighting against the Chicago PD, not a few bad apples, <laughs> but the Chicago PD broadly and the real estate industry. Like what? I mean, that's amazing. I, and, um, of course you have to talk about that. Yeah, I was really excited Still, about man, Nighthawk RIP. I'm so sad that the book didn't get to continue. God. That was damn a it. funny one because like I was promoting it with you and I think, you know, we talked about it and I, of course every issue came out. I was like, you know, read it if I had some fill-ins, but I was like read it regardless. Like it's a good book. Uh David Walker like put a lot into it. Uh like a lot of just like, you know, his sort of beliefs and like his heart into it so i was like oh you, you got to read this book but i knew it was canceled the day it came out <laughs> like oh, it was a bummer man. because i you know the editors believed in it and basically it was just a company decision that like it was part of a line-wide thing and it was like um the first book didn't do well and that was like james robinson and i didn't tell anybody to read that because i think he's kind of like a shithead so I was like, yeah, it's, yeah. So I was like, yeah, I'm not going to promote the James Robinson book, but read Nighthawk, you know, but ours came out third and it was sort of just like declining. It was like that one didn't do as well as they thought. And the next one, which was like a Hyperion book, which was like, you know, I didn't I honestly didn't read that either. But that one didn't do as well as they thought. And ours was just like, OK, well, this is the third book in this line of three um and the other two didn't sell very well and this one they think could gain an audience but like it's part of it's tied with these other two so if we're canceling those there's no reason why we can keep this one around so i i had to like i got an urgent email uh that i pulled over to the side of the road while i was going to the signing for that book and it was like hey oh, remote like you know there's nothing to do with you we love your work we love what you're doing but the book's canceled and i was like oh incredible <laughs> so i mean it was that's so stupid like i wasn't even aware of there being other books that are quote unquote in that line yeah. i don't care yeah, about i was the that. only one who stood out yeah exactly like it shouldn't matter what else is there it's so stupid yeah when i talked to you about coming on we talked about what you would want to talk about like comics wise and we, at first we were just gonna do like a straight interview but you were up for the you know, the challenge of talking about a book and, you know, so were we, so we talked about it. And at first you said green arrow and I thought, Oh yeah, of course the like Daniel O'Neill one. Like I, you know, I, in my head I was thinking, eh, like that stuff's a little like archaic at this point, but you said, Oh no, the, oh, the very. Mike Grell one. <laughs> and I was like, Oh yeah. You thought it was the speed speedy. You're a junkie. <laughs> yeah. Or like you care about the the purple man, the blue man, but what about the black man? Like all that stuff. Oh my god. Classic. It's so earnest yeah. and it's so it's like that that green arrow, like the hard traveling heroes arrow, green arrow that you were like worried I might want to do, just as an aside, like it's such a this is like a white mainstream liberal perspective of like 1973 like just right. 1972 like that's just what it was and it's such a time capsule of it and it's i i i appreciate it as that yeah. like i appreciate it as sociology of the time um and yeah, also some the person art. back then was being very progressive yeah they, exactly they, they were very and we're just like oh this is but now we're like oh my god this is so fucking white good god <laughs> and, and the art is excellent too so i i find it interesting but the idea that that would be like the peak leftist comic is like no yeah no it is not well it's amazing because um, like even in those books they're kind of critical of ollie for having those ideas like they make him like uh, a hypocrite and like sort of outwardly like uh obnoxious about it 
And if there's one thing I know I mean, about leftists, we're be. not obnoxious. Mm-hmm. We, we don't. Not at all. No. <laughs> no, I mean, that's the thing that I think is so cool about, obviously, look, Oliver Queen is fictional and is only as good or bad as the creators working on him and the company publishing him allow it to yeah. be. But when, but when I, but when Oliver Queen is interesting, I find it inter- the ways he's terrible are interesting. Right. Like as someone who has been an activist in the left since like literally my entire life and has also dealt with lots of rich leftists. Yes. Like the ways he's terrible are so. Yeah, seen it. It's, yep, it's that's super real. real reading this book. <laughs> or well. And uh, yeah, yeah. So, oh, so yeah. yeah, you'd mentioned Mike Grell's Longbow Hunters, which I had had mm-hmm. on my shelf for years. Like I got it from a friend, I think, or it might have been when I was just like buying anything Green Arrow, Green Lantern, because I, I love those two characters specifically. And and when you said that, I was like, that's yeah, funny. Like, I love that. I love that character. But that is the blind spot for sure. Because it just when I, I remember looking at it and the art just feels a little bit like uh pretentious <laughs> super it, i i hope we get to talk a little bit oh, about the art i yeah. mean th- no that's one of the reasons why i wanted to choose that that's one of the reasons the reason i chose longbow hunters over some of the mike grell stuff that he didn't personally draw was because i was like i want to talk to ramon who's like an artist about the oh, art and daniel artist, as well so. daniel is a, a pretty great artist oh, shit. yes sorry. yes that's right <laughs> i i dabble yeah, i mean you're not as like look you're not as um you're not as yeah, no, great as I I'm not am. as prolific or, or well known. You're not a nobody says oh. like oh Daniel Idizadi genius. They say Ramon Villalobos genius. Oh. <laughs> I actually get the genius well, thing a lot. Well, not as much as um, me, but when I well, go home and I see my mom, she's like there's my genius. Did you see my art though? Aww. Uh I keep I keep your art away from my mom. <laughs> um shout out to Daniel's mom. I don't know where I don't even. She's she's beautiful and absolutely. she's amazing. You know what? Shout out to my and mother too. I'm gonna s- she raised a genius that some would say is at greater caliber genius level than Daniel's. This is not a competition, but. <laughs> and you know, my what? mom would disagree. Uh, Ilana, shout out to your mom too. Shout out to all moms. Shout out to my mom. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, so yeah, longbow hunters. Like, let's just let's just get into it. I, I was hyped. Um, like I said, because I had had it for so long and I just never bothered to crack it open. It just seemed like a little heavy, a little like 19. What year did this come out? Like 80s? 87. Yeah, I yeah 87. Late, yeah, mid to late 80s. The year I was born, the year one genius was brought into the world. Oh, you're so little. I love it. <laughs> um, yes. Um, so. And it's, yes, it's so 1987. Like, good Lord. Like, this is like, yep, this came out right after The Dark Knight. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, so basically, from what I understand is. Uh, DC had got so much success from relaunching uh, Superman with Man of Steel and relaunching Batman with Dark Knight and, you know, Batman Year One and, like, all the stuff Frank Miller was doing. They wanted to, like, revamp other characters to make them, like, more mature, more serious. I think they, you know, that's, like, kind of how the Swamp Thing thing came out and, you know, Animal Man and all the Vertigo stuff. And this one was sort of, like, also there, but it was it's, it's not as important. It's not as big. This was is like the 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 failed attempt. Well, I wouldn't or, even say failed because I mean it was it was successful, one of the... but it was yeah. just not the one that like people now will go back to, which mm-hmm. is a little bit of a mistake I think because it is actually like once you get past the like oh this is so eighties feeling, once you get past that, mm-hmm. it is actually really really well 
well drawn. Like it's amazing looking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, this isn't as good as Dark Knight. Yeah, which is like what considered one of the best comics in the history of the world. <laughs> then it must be trash. No, no, no. Yeah. Like it's just it's it's in a position where it's up against some of like the most canonized work. So and and maybe it's not as good as the most canonized work, because it doesn't mean it's not great and worth revisiting. You and know? it's it's actually like way better than Superman Man of Steel, like the the John Byrne one that the, it was also sort mm-hmm. of like piggybacking on the success of. But yeah, this is uh, Mike Grell, and it also re envisioned. It made like this is also the green the Green Arrow that is the Green Arrow today. You know, like this is like the, the, this re, this reversioning of Green Arrow is the one that stuck around basically yeah that's interesting i, I want yeah, to talk I, about I'm, that because I, coming... I feel like I, I, mm-hmm. I think i disagree with that with that assessment because mm. i think like the violence yes like they they really did go oh like green arrow would be cooler if he was just explicitly violent but it's not in that green arrow would be cooler if he used actual arrow <laughs> right <laughs> but it's not in that it's it's com- like i think at a certain point dc realized you know it's even more successful than a violent green arrow is like a completely apolitical green arrow that's also violent like now most well, mainstream, yeah that's the worst though. like they stripped it of that, what i think is yeah. interesting and like core to that character like even from the inception because once you told me about this book and once i read it and i got to there's a scene where he re re-examines his own origin then i was like it set me down a, a fucking rabbit hole where i'm like well wait a minute what is like what was the intention of that character what are like the politics that initially came up with? And it actually like, I don't know if you want to do this with us. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. you do, but I want to do like every, yeah. just like dip into my, dip my toe into every era of green arrow. So I have, yeah, I have can talk about, I am as much as I'm someone who doesn't identify as being a fan of particular characters per yeah. se, I talk much more in terms of like the people who made the exactly. art. I am pretty knowledgeable about green arrow and yeah, I mean, it literally was just like a Batman ripoff. And then eventually people realized that there was really no market niche for DC to have two Batman, especially when one of them made no sense at all. And so, you know, the Green Lantern and Green Arrow series with Denny O'Neill was like, oh, he dresses like Robin Hood. He should be like a lefty superhero or else what possible explanation. But of course, they inherited this history of him being a rich man dallying and fighting crime. And so they have to somehow reconcile this origin story of a rich dilettante, you know, sort of Batman with the fact that they want him to have these lefty politics. And a lot of people don't understand how those things can inhabit the same space. And like, I think if you were making Green Arrow from scratch right now, I would not have him be a billionaire playboy. (laughs) But you absolutely can reconcile billionaire playboy and lefty activist. I hate to say it. Yeah. As much as it's painful and as much as he needs to get smacked. So like... Uh, sorry go ahead um yeah i think that well part of the thing is that green arrow was before the before that he was just existing only in justice league like he was Mm -hmm. around the dc comics like that world but he was mainly just like a justice league character and there was so many of them in the 70s that they like had or this or you know the 60s they had to find a way to make this one interesting specifically so then they they basically gave him the lefty politics as a counterbalance to like all these other space cops. Like they needed to have him yeah. be any kind of, and he was just like, you know what? I don't think I agree with you, Hawkman or Superman or whatever. So like just for yeah. conflict, they just made him like a firebrand, which is I think great, you know. But 
but yeah, like you said, they were like, well, wait, he's rich. Like, so he's just like this limousine liberal kind of guy. Like that wasn't around yet, but the, like you said, it was a conflicting thing, but it wasn't like for American history. It wasn't like, um, like, you know, there were, there were rich socialists before that. Yep. Oh, I mean like that think that's the story of a lot of how a number of things have been funded over the history of right. <laughs> over the history of the left. Yeah. Like it's not without precedent. And um the the tendency to assert that you are the knowledgeable person who should be making the determinations um because you are the money person and yet you're espousing left politics is like not is not new and is quite common. Exactly. So I'm like no, this yeah. does add up. It does add up. Like if you want like if you want him to be a like to truly be the hero, then it would then I wouldn't give him the rich guy origin. But if you want, but he still, but that origin for a character who espouses what he espouses is still believable because he's flawed. And one of the ways that he's interesting to me is he's flawed. Like that's I, I why would I be interested in the superheroes that were fully idealized in every way? That just sounds incredibly boring. <laughs> right. Um, and the ways in which she's flawed, of, you know, are, you know, it depends on who's creating it, da, 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 but it's always been interesting to me. I mean, my first entry into really reading about the character was, God, it must have been like the year 2000. And I literally saw on the comic book spinner rack at like the train station um, at, at, at Grand Central Station, um, a cover that was Phil Hester. Yeah when he was doing Green Arrow with um, Kevin Smith and it was Onomatopoeia, who was a supervillain who like his superpowers, like he does stuff that are onomatopoeias like blorp or like rip, you yeah. know, like comics, but I've always used his vision and that um, conceit just being on the cover of the comic, I was like, fuck, I'm buying this. <laughs> and then once I began reading it, I was like, oh wait, they're painting this guy as being like a lefty superhero. This is like meant for me. So I went back and started picking up the single issues um, so the Kevin Smith book, which I feel like nobody talks about and nobody likes other than me, like was my entry point into the character in the series. Yeah. And, you know, Phil Hester does really good work there. And there's some really cool stuff in that book. There it are. was actually like so. my entryway into comics completely because I was just like a what? Like oh all God. kind of like there, I liked other stuff, too. And I would like buy little one issues off here and there. But when I first started reading comics, I was just like, you know, a. I was that sort of like, you know, loser in high school that just like likes Kevin Smith and stuff, you know, like just the kind of like archetype that I hate from that era. But that was like who I was, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, I had no idea you had a Kevin Smith comics origin story like that. That's so interesting. Yeah. So I like, you know, I was at um, I was at the library and I, you know, just like I loved Clerks, loved Chasing Amy, loved all the all the movies, all the Kevin Smith ones. And I was like, wait, this dude writes comics like that rules. So I, they had that and I bought like every one of the ones that he did. And then I kept doing, I kept buying the ones after that, like the Brad Meltzer one, which is not as good. And then not, not as good. <laughs> not exactly. As good. I dropped it. I was like, and then the Judd know. Winnick ones, which I liked a little bit, but it took a while for him to get going on it. But I, I in general, I really do like Judd Winnick too. But uh, the Kevin Smith ones, I remember being like this. So like, not only was it like, it was a, it was like a all encompassing thing though. Like I got the comic and then I went on his website at the time. It was like moviepoopshoot.com or whatever from the movie. And then eventually changed to like something else. But there was a thing on there called comics one Oh one. And it was this guy named Scott Tipton who would write these, like uh, these things talking about different characters, like just write-ups 
where he would just explain the history, like not just of the fictional history, but of like the, the real world history of them. And I, I loved him. I read like every single one of them every week that they came out and he did one on green arrow. And, and I, you know, really liked that. Cause at that time, you know, I'm like, a I like Michael Moore. I like the daily show. You know, <laughs> I feel like I'm mm-hmm. a, I'm a lefty in that way. And, you know, I liked Ralph Nader and all that stuff. So I was like, Oh, like this is, this is the guy that I like, you know, Daniel, do you have yeah, any like yeah. history with, with green arrow at all or <laughs> I, I i'm i'm enjoying y'all, y'all's uh very informed conversation about it but i'm gonna come at this book from <laughs> the cw perspective oh, so you've seen the show <laughs> i don't oh, yes. <laughs> yes i don't acknowledge the existence of the show but you have to i know. absolutely 100 percent love no, it like i saw exist. i saw no. four seasons <laughs> i I've, I've taken a break because the cw tv universe has expanded to the point where it became it, it became too much it became too much but um honestly the only reason i really care about green arrow is because i i watched enough of that show to get over the the cheesiness or the 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 weirdness of of the cw formula Mm -hmm. to see a lot of really interesting things and it's funny that like um uh you're mentioning him as sort of like a a batman type because really they they really lean into that in in the cw yeah. with the absence of batman yeah, there is no well, batman so you can have him yeah i mean we call him walmart batman because he's just <laughs> batman who they could afford to put on television because they yes. couldn't get the rights for real batman and to me as a man who finds the concept of the character interesting having him just be batman is like just not interesting right like I, but they I, they did some pretty interesting things like i i I think it it bridged it bridged a gap, and I think it made Arrow a household name uh, for a good couple of oh, years. I think at this point, the the people who are still watching Arrow are like niche, right? But for seasons one and two, I think it was everywhere. Yeah, well, I think once they realized that oh, we can't afford to put Batman in things now, like then it like it diminished his his impact or whatever. Yeah, they 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 brought out Superman for like Supergirl. Yeah. Batman is in Titans. Green Arrow starts to become a little bit it's like yeah, who irrelevant. cares? But but I think I it think just, you have like, to. Acknowledge... I, I was just like offended oh, sorry, that you that you sorry. I was just like, but I was like offended that you would make a Green Arrow show that wasn't like about the politics because why use this character if you're not going to do that? Like why well, not just he choose was... anyone else? He was uh, uh, fighting for the city in a way. D- uh, like, did you, uh, Elena, Elena, did you, like, watch it? You, like, hate watch it? I didn't hate watch it. I couldn't. I've seen, I saw, like, trailers, and then I asked people, like, so is this, like, is this going there? They're like, no, this is just Walmart Batman. And then I, I, I can't deal with it. Like, I, the performance bothered me, and then I just, I, I, there are huge swaths of superhero pop culture that I just don't consume if I get the sense that I wouldn't enjoy it. Like, life's too understandable, short. understandable. Too short. So no, this is not a particularly informed uh, takedown of I, it. I, I think that they they <laughs> did try to talk about class uh very poorly like they talk about class like how you would talk about it in like uh gossip right. girl you know right. like 
like very very shallow everyone's uh, obviously beautiful yeah. in in every scene but when we do um, our when mm-hmm. we're discussing these different eras of green arrow cuz i want to cuz he's the leftist superhero i don't care what aubrey citizen and the beef bro say he's it <laughs> When, it's it's green arrow when, when yeah. we go through the different like i, I want to do like all the different versions of him we have to do that one i have to watch it at least like what a season or two to talk about it because yeah i, I yeah, do yeah. want to know what the politics of that show are like i'm fascinated because they did just take something that was like you know like you said like kind of niche kind of like for like hardcore people like green arrow was a laughing stock for most of the time he's existed because of like boxing glove arrows and then yeah. mm-hmm. in this thing, they tried to be like, oh, okay, what if we just take away the boxing glove? He just shoots people. That's cool. And then now it's like, okay, but what if we just strip away all the other stuff? And we basically just have, like, Hawkeye. You know, like, Hawkeye is, but he Hawkeye is... is a bland character mm-hmm. who does not, like, say anything or do anything. He just shoots arrows. He, the, the the CW version, by the way, just, just to sort of, like, reinforce Alana's point is so bargain bin Batman at points that uh, Rajal Ghul is is one of the one right. of the main antagonists That's throughout. It. Like they they give him a whole Rajal Ghul plot <laughs> and like a separate daughter, like not Talia. Oh, for real? That's pretty. Yeah, rad. yeah. No, I'm, I I was still down with it. I was still fine because it was sort of at this point where. The CW superhero universe hadn't blossomed yet, but it it felt like they were taking a risk in actually showing you the the goods, showing you Deathstroke, showing you the Flash for the first time. It it felt like they were actually. I still respect the CW formula first, but yeah, I get I get your point. Yeah. Um. So anyway. I don't want to. I don't want to detour too too much. So this book is kind of crazy. It basically, I'll, I want to run through the plot because we didn't. We're not going to do the thing where we just read one issue and it takes like three hours because we want to talk more to Elena. Um, but we basically this comic is about there are two separate serial killers running through Seattle where Green Arrow and Black Canary live. They never call her Black Canary. She only dresses up in her old costume like once as like a sexual thing but but it's a very like uh it's a very of this era what is serious kind of thing it's about one killer who's killing prostitutes sex workers and there's another one who is just killing random people and they're the robin hood killer and um what you find out is that the person that is killing the prostitutes well they just die in the first issue but the one that's killing the Robin Hood one are killing random uh, people, and they're trying to figure out like what is the connective thread. All we know about them is that they are uh, former. There were people who didn't serve in World War II. Yeah, the, their connection is a negative. Yeah. Like, well, it, their connection is that they didn't serve in the military. Yeah. Um, and then it while they're while they're doing that, that's a case that Black Canary is looking into. She gets kidnapped. Um, they hint that she's raped, just sec- just like beaten. Um, she seems to be abused, and I I, I wouldn't say that she was. Uh, there's a heavy implication in the sense well, that, so, like, yeah, Vo- voice well, of voice of God from the writer is that she wasn't. But anybody reading this is going to look at that and be like, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, 
however, he has reason. He I mean Grell, like Grell's point, and he, it, this is something which is mentioned in you know one of the future issues. You see, like the idea that rape is like the worst thing that could happen to a woman is in and of itself kind of sexist. And I'm like, you know, Grell, I will give you that. Um, uh, and so to him, it's to Grell, it's significant that no, she's not raped, she is tortured. Mm. But to a reader, you're looking at this and we're so used from comics to having to rely on very specific symbols to indicate sexual Mm -hmm. assault because they weren't allowed to actually depict it. So to us as a reader, when you're not looking at word of God, you're like, oh yeah, no, she was raped. You can tell because she's not wearing pants. Well, it's also also murky because there's another character who is raped, but you don't see it and they don't say it explicitly except for in like a newspaper article that I'm sure most people skip over if we're not the headline. Yeah. Like it says yeah. she yeah. was raped or like, uh, you know, they say something along those lines, like they found her without clothes. So there's a, there's two separate killers who are going around taking women's clothes off, beating them and leaving them for dead. Like, why wouldn't you assume that? You know what I mean? If they don't say yeah. outright that they weren't, mm-hmm. you have to kind of assume that they were based on the fact that they say that one was, <laughs> but yeah but uh so yeah dina suffers uh, Di- dina. uh a lot is it dina, dina sorry yeah show? she does oh <laughs> no no we mean in this oh yeah no i mean the comic has huge women in refrigerators problems that's like, the whole yes. question it's, yeah. it starts out with a fridging it's the whole thing the whole it's just, just lots of fridging yeah. and ha- and yet and this is what makes it this is what makes me enjoy reading Dinah in it, despite of the fri- despite the fridging, is that when she's not being fridged, she's interesting. She's and yeah. that's and that's where other shit goes wrong for other books. Is like they the women aren't interesting at, at outside of anything else. Well, in this, like this is fridging and it's fucked up, un- but like she is interesting until she's <laughs> fridged. She's the only like she's the main character. She's the only one worth following. She's the only one that has any agency and that is doing anything <laughs> like before that. Yeah. My biggest thing about this is all over queen before, like this whole thing reads like a Viagra commercial. Like, Oh my but God. The whole yes. thing is just like, Oh, can you not get it up? Try violence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like that's, that's so fair. Like, I'm that's hitting 40. He's like, he's having a midlife crisis. I'm... He's with this beautiful woman who like is like completely independent, like is like, Hey, I'm going to go undercover. Sorry about your birthday. I got to do my own thing. I'm, I'm trying to bring down a serial killer who's, who's hunting down women. And he's just like, Oh, but what do I want to (laughs) do? Like it's the whole, that's his whole arc is like, okay. And then when, when she gets absolutely, you know, tortured and you know, the, the implicated rape, like when that happens, then it's like, Oh, okay. Now I realize that I'm a man. It's like, what? <laughs> like, it it wasn't, like, the whole time he's having trouble, like, dealing with this. So, the other the other part of this, beyond the, the Black Canary stuff, which is what the book is known for, is the character Shadow, who is another archer who's, like, young, who's a young Japanese woman who is running around Seattle killing off these guys who we learn were um, former... Was it USS? I forget. It was former CIA. Yeah, it's 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 they're all like CIA guys right. who like allowed her dad, 
her dad who was yakuza but like was like brutalized by the military like they were stealing money from him during world war ii when he was in a concentration camp like this is one of those things where none of these are good people right. um uh like she's getting vengeance on them and then for it but she's also forced to get vengeance on them by her by her the mob boss who owns her basically right so she's the other she's the other character running around that is like you know like we, it's just it's just like a strange thing because you don't learn that much about her and I haven't read past this. Do you, is she does she stick around in the comic? Oh yeah, she comes. She's later. She shows up again later. Yeah, okay. she's like a real. She's an actual character with with stuff going on and um, yeah. Does she show up in the CW show? Uh, actually, uh, not that I can remember. But Lame. the CW show started becoming like Archer of the Month instead of like Villain of the Month. Yeah. So, uh, so she might have been in uh, as as like another archer person. So yeah, this the the book takes a hard turn where it becomes about like Green Arrow chasing uh Shadow as she hunts down people when he's like trying to reconcile like is killing bad or not, and he kind of comes out. Oh yeah, it's not that bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like I guess some people need to die, and I do have a quiver full of arrows, so why not? Um, yeah, in that sense, Shadow was probably, like, doing more for the cause than Green Arrow <laughs> was throughout most of this book. Yeah, like, like Green Arrow is, like, the boring character in the show, like, the straight character, the straight man character, and there's all these interesting people around him, and, but you're just, like, kind of stuck following around this dope, um, but, you know, he seems likable, he's got a cool goatee. Yeah, no, if, if we, if we can say anything... <laughs> It's that his mustache goat combo is is superb, un un untoppable. I wish I remembered which writer and artist made this the thing, but somebody in I think it was within the past ten years basically decided that the reason that Oliver Queen can still be anonymous while having a Van Dyke is that. In Star City, which is where usually the stories takes place, that's just very popular facial <laughs> hair. And it's partially popular because of him. Right. And so that's the reason why people don't know who he is. So there's like a lot of... Do- so basically it's Williamsburg and like everybody has a handlebar mustache. Right. And he's just one more that's hipster for the handlebar mustache. And I wish I could remember whose idea that was, but it works to me and it's fucking hilarious and I love it. Um, that, that reminds me of uh, uh, this line from like All-Star Superman where... Uh, Lex Luthor tells uh Clark Kent, who's interviewing him, like that his his eyebrows have a Superman swoop, mm. hmm. and that most likely Clark had them like uh done because that was the popular look uh because of Superman. Yeah. Um, really, really great scene. Like, yeah, this, exactly. This, I love uh, that shit. Um. But that's uh, that's a very uh, convenient explanation for Green Arrow's crazy. I don't think it's goat. that crazy. I mean, like that's I don't I don't have a Van Dyke, but I had you know sometimes I have a goatee like that, and I feel like in the '90s this is just the look that people were rocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's 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 great, exciting facial hair. It's iconic. Yeah. It's like a good look. And Mike Grell loves drawing it because he like gives Warlord Oof, like, the same facial hair. Boy, does hair. he love it. You know, and I, 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 I like the look. I'm fine with it, you know. Um, and like, it's also, you know, a, a fashion choice. Like Ollie talks about how much he loved um, Errol Flynn and all those other movies. So like, yeah, it all makes sense. It's character driven and it, it's visually interesting. The costume is visually interesting. 
Um, I mean, I think one of the other political things I just want to give a shout out from this comic is like, how much is this kind of like Iran-Contra adjacent? And oh, this is from before Iran-Contra, that's, right? I was super hyped on that. Is this before? This is before Iran-Contra was a thing. I thought this was before we it, before well, we they, knew. They keep, they keep, before we knew. They keep bringing it. it up here. I mean, it's I was like, they're they're talking directly about fucking Ronald Reagan. Yeah. So the, shit. the good parts of it is that ending. They really, really stick it with me. What I really love about it is just showing. Oh, the ev- the people that Shadow's been hunting down. First of all, they do deserve to die. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. by like they're they're they are shown as the absolute worst people. Total, just like capitalist scum. I love that Green Arrow doesn't really have anything to say about any of that. Like he's just like yeah, no, he just lets it happen. Like, oh, weird, but um, Shadow hates it. <laughs> so she's like, "Fuck yep. that! I'm killing all of these motherfuckers." They tortured. Uh, my father, they put him in the internment camp and like stole from him and like made his like they ruined my family and definitely killed her mom. Definitely killed the mom. So like basically forced her into a Yakuza upbringing and she's like, whatever. Like you say she was forced into it, but I feel like that character like, you know, grew up with a reason to be angry at the establishment. So like, yes, she. Yeah. So they, they established that there's all these just like just CIA ghouls that are slowly being murdered off and. Um, that rules. Like that's a great thing. Yep. <laughs> it's a bunch of people yep. who are who are in who have you know spent decades wielding their power against people who are helpless, and now they're just getting systematically run down. And and it's it's Oliver Queen, who is the the comics leftist dude, like the one who's supposed to hate all of this stuff. Even like yeah, you could say that it's like a little bit cringy the way he talked about it in the earlier comics, but. Like, that is what he said that he was about. So there's, like, a mm-hmm. great showdown with them all at the end in, like, this absolute beautiful forest. It looks so good. That mm-hmm. whole sh- that whole scene looks amazing. And yeah. uh, he gives... I- I'm a little confused. He gives Oliver Queen this bag of money. And then he's just like, all right, so I'm just going to go kill that dude anyways. I'm, I'm, I was a little lost about what the no, point of that he- was. He was basically giving him a payoff, right? Th- saying like, "Well, look, this money is going to exist regardless. You might as well take it." And he was fine with those. Basically, like Oliver was essentially cleaning up the loose ends for them as well, without even knowing it. Right. It's very bleak. Yeah. Um. And and yeah. and I think that's sort of one of the differences between the Mike Grell and versus the um, Denny O'Neill and, and Neil Adams comic is. Um, I think this this version presupposes that shit is actually just going to be bad, right? Um, and I mean, and I, I, th- there's sort of this this storyline gets picked up again in some in some other ways also later in the series. Like he spends a good amount of time dealing with the results of the CIA's bullshit mm, in the book. Interesting. In a way that I think makes it clear that like the CIA is bad. Yeah, I want to. I want to read that because I, I, so. I, I'm fascinated by that element of it. Like, there's so much. Yeah. There's so much there that it, it was kind of a bummer that it it took that weird turn. Or like, well, sorry, it took a great turn at the end, but in the beginning, it was just like all about him feeling like not like like not masculine enough or whatever. Like, yeah, he's having his old man midlife crisis, and yeah. I like I love like you know like that's the shit the men deal with that whatever you know someone needs to smack it out of them but like it's a thing that they do yeah um and i I like that they're like 
that he you know he's moving out west to try to figure out like they're they're trying to build a a new life out there i mean i think partially let's imply that one of the things that sent him out there was like the whole like my ward is a junkie storyline he like has dealing with guilt from having fucked up when it came to raising mm-hmm. his kid basically yeah um and well, you know in black canary is like i'm gonna start a business i'm gonna build a life out here yeah and uh that's the thing that really got me is like the way they present him in the beginning especially where he's like you know what we know of him is hard traveling heroes you know telling hawkman to go fuck himself all this stuff and he lives in like a mansion like he lives in like a literal castle in the middle of seattle and he spends all of his day very 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 innocuous (laughs) very subtle castle he spends all of his day doing interior decorating and like he's doing first of all he's doing a great job like yeah, he, very good separating the tone. His taste level in each is level super sick. Um, so like you know he spends all of his day doing that and like taking care of the shit, and you could tell that like that's what has him down. And it's like at first you're thinking, oh, he's just like secure enough in all of this to be dealing with this. Like you know, it's fine, it's fine. I don't need to be you know running around there. But he need you know he needs to like connect with his with that like sort of primal level again. And that's the that's kind of like the point of this, right? Is like mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot of like it, to me there's a lot of similarities between the way he's presented and like the sort of Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, like Joe Biden, like third way Democrat, like sort of that guy where they understand that as Democrats they are seen as weak, so they have to exert force to prove that they're not, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and yeah. They I mean, know, like mm-hmm. specifically in Obama, there's a whole part, you know, of that new book where he talks about like he was only he was only reading Marx to chase around like long legged socialists. Like, Sorry. It's not good. But like, I mean, of course you were like, that's the nature of being a high school. Sorry, a college student in certain contexts, isn't it? But some of us also pay attention. Right, I mean, but, that's the other, like, but the thing it seems yeah. like a lot of the, the way it's presented, like all over Queens sort of politics in this were just like him being a young guy who didn't quite get it now that he's older he understands he has to make compromises and that's one of the things that really sort of like that really i don't like him in this for like that whole thing that's why i said i'd rather just follow around shadow see what she's up to because like his whole thing is like well like yeah like you said it's bleak it's like the world is 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 bleak but he's the one making those compromises Mm mm-hmm I mean, but there's, there's there's two things though. Is that one of though is that Shadow doesn't really have agency. Like she's doing this as Yakuza. Like they own her. They're telling her what she has to do, and they're like going to punish her because they let because she let Oliver Queen get like shoot one of the guys who she was supposed to shoot. Um, that, that over time they give her more character, and she isn't just you know sure. an, an instrument. Uh, and I think that the choice to have her be regarded as just an instrument in this story is like a choice, not an accident, but like she is just doing stuff because she's, she's owned by the Yakuza and the Yakuza are making her do these things. And she definitely falls into some of these like silent Asian woman tropes that are like super problematic um, in, in the story. Like even though the story is created to justify it, it's still a choice that the story made for that. Um, What I like though, with respect to the women here is how, Black Canary is like, no, I don't want to have babies with you. I'm a superhero. That would be a terrible idea. Right. And I'm like, thank you, Dinah. I'm glad that someone is here to talk sense into the men. Like, I love Ollie. He's like, he's all post-coital. And he's like, I want to have babies. And she's like, 
I see why you say that, <laughs> but that's a bad idea, honey. Yeah. And like, I, it's such a nice, refreshing thing to have the woman be the person pointing this out in a comic for once. And and, he, and then he listens to her. He's like, oh, I see what you mean. Like, he actually listens to her and respects her on this. Um, I mean, I, I think like they they're, they have a they, their sexual relationship in the comic is a lot of fun in general. Like, it's nice that they have it yeah. dressing up in costumes and acknowledging that, like, let's be real. Like, that's why these superheroes are doing this shit. Wearing those costumes is also a nice touch. Um and like I like the the idea that like you know they're a couple and they like having sex with each other and that's important and like it it feel, it's a good thing that the comic is going there. Interestingly, I noticed this: all of the cheesecake is Oliver Queen. There is zero Dinah <laughs> cheesecake. Basically, it's like him like naked in the tub like, or him like. There's just yeah. lots of yeah. There's lots of him naked for no particular reason. And there's yeah. Like they one... went full. They went full dick silhouette at one point. <laughs> mm-hmm. and that was I, that I was very that. nice. I res- I respect that in Mike Grell. Uh, and the closest you have of that is there you have a, a, a nice leg shot of Black Canary, but it's for the purposes of her being like, yeah. this is my Honestly, come up here. Uh, Oliver uh, definitely looks better because no offense, there's there's this there's this one scene where uh, Oliver kind of like pretends to shoot his head and yes. like pretend uh, commit suicide. And he does it so convincingly that he like passes out on the floor for like two minutes. And when he comes to, there's like a like a butt shot yeah but just it it's kind of flat uh, oliver flat queen ass. has a much better butt it's a wild ass to draw on her it was absolutely crazy i yeah. can't believe he did that they actually like shaded her her dress or like her tights yeah to the point where it made the butt look flatter um i want to was... talk about the art with you guys a yes lot. i do too um, i was just wanted, i wanted yes. to just go there because Let's in that first it. issue the thing again that just made me roll my eyes the hardest is he loves to go to this like he has a Canson mid-tone paper shot that every <laughs> yeah. time he wants everywhere every time he wants to just make a dramatic point <clears throat> he'll bust out the charcoals he'll do like a character in like you know three four silhouette or so you know or not a silhouette uh profile and then it'll just be like them saying like the important moment and it just feels Cracking like not the graveboard for you it. You just feel like at the end of like a scene of like a of like a soap opera or something where it plays like a soft piano line, <laughs> like every single time it does that. It's just in my head. It read as like, oh god, just chill out. You don't need to go mix media and on this one, bro. It's you're it's fine. I think you're fine. I think it was one per page almost. There was like one. This, this book, by the way, the is the type book, of yeah. book that an artist does that they just fill it with close-ups. This is a close-up book. Mm-hmm. It's all faces. There's maybe one or two, um, like, establishing shots. But when you look at these conversations, it's face, 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 and then dramatic face in the gray mm-hmm. board. Um, but you know and, why, right? Like, wh- wh- Why? Because he's not as good at drawing the figures. Like, I, I as a person, I draw, I, I'm much better at faces than I am at bodies, especially as bodies in action. And you can see from some of the posing, especially in the first issue, that he has kind of a hard time with some of the more complex 
posing in the forest yes. here. They're stiff and they're awkward. So he's going to lean back on his strengths. And that's these close-up portraits, which I think he does wonderfully. And so, yeah, it acting. Is, it's so, it's good. It's really good. And it's beautiful. And so, like, the, the gray tone paper, like, it's, like, yeah, it is corny, but I love it because it's good. Yeah. You know? I mean, he's going off, but, like, he also goes off when he just inks it. So I'm just like, just ink it. Like, you know, it, it always annoys me when people, like, want to add, like, gray tone washes and, like, they try to get artsy. It's like, no, it's a comic book. Just ink it. That way it looks better when it's colored. And the colors on this... This feels like proto-David proto Mack. Some oh, of these, yeah. like, the, the pencil, yeah. watercolor. Yeah, like so this either. was actually uh, painted. This was painted by... Right. An art, the the, 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 uh, the colorist was a painter who painted over the pencils. Basically. Yeah, this is uh, yeah. Julia Laquament, the color artist. And also there is an assistant, Laureen Haynes, who I don't know... Uh, I don't know what they did. I don't know what they contributed, but... Um, they assisted. Yeah, they assisted. But, you know, the the whole thing, like, there's just a lot of, like, things where it's just inconsistent, which annoys the shit out of me. Like, if you're going to yeah. watercolor, watercolor the whole thing. If you're going to do pencil stuff, do pencil stuff the whole thing. Like, but mixed then it media, went hard gauche. The mixed media project. When, when they go over to the, to the mountain. Yeah, that, I mean, yeah. the mixed media project element just drives me absolutely fucking insane. Like, I don't, I don't want to look at an art project. I just want to read the comic. That's my personal. Oh, I love it. But this is, but it. like, I I fall on Elana's side here because there's some like, it's not that I love the the art. That I, I definitely have my issues with a, a lot of the anatomical inconsistencies or the weird angles. But there is something about this book that makes it feel like a physical object. Like I can imagine these art boards. Sure. I can I can imagine him like cutting the gray board and pasting it in, and I can just sort of like imagine the weight of these boards as I as I turn the page because it, it really felt like a solid physical medium as I as I was reading, and it feels like those. I don't know if you saw Mad Men. I don't know if either of you have seen Mad Men. Yeah, those yeah. illustration endings. But. Yeah, the, the, the they they had like these illustration boards when they were preparing promo for But the thing is, the is like he's commercials. the thing is he's good, but he's not that good. So No, like, he isn't. It like, does feel like that cuz that's the kind of classic illustration that dudes of this era loved, but he's just not there yet. The the, the... Like especially the the when you when you're looking at the rooms that that uh that Oliver decorated, it really just looks straight out of like a like an illustration catalog. Yeah, I mean that's sick. That that part I love, and I wish that they would have focused more on his interior decorating. In <laughs> focused more on the <laughs> interior d design scenes. Yeah, yeah, this book was about Black Canary and Shadow, just having their little adventure. They're you know figuring their shit out while while Green Arrow is just like designing incredible interiors. I would love this comic. <laughs> like, okay, I wanted to I wanted to uh, ask a, a hard question here. I don't know if there's a correct answer, but why is Dinah more Latina without the wig? <laughs> she it's, like she puts on the wig and she goes two shades up white as well. Like the the way that they colored her in the first issue, I I uh, initially didn't know that she was black canary because she like she looked like she had some flavor. She looked like <laughs> she had some like canela. You know what I mean? Like it is interesting the way he draws her face in this. It is it is like it's a different person when she doesn't have that black canary wig on. And as and as soon as she puts on the wig and they're gonna do like the superhero foreplay, that's a white woman. They switch it up completely. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, um, the other thing that I, really I, gets I, me it, about this is uh-huh. the the women's fashion in this. Like the men's isn't great, but the women's is particularly terrible. Like, ah, <laughs> everybody's wearing like just the craziest fits I've ever seen in my life. Black Black Canary gets off pretty light because she's very like just t shirt and jeans, but all yeah. the like prostitutes are, are dressed like in like crazy jackets and capris. With like the seventeen-year-old that crashes through the window oh, in yeah. the first issue, she's dressed like an like an old she's woman. Dressed, yeah, I, I didn't. They said she's sixteen or seventeen. I'm like, what? I thought it <laughs> yeah, was. I, I had that same response. I thought it was Robert Smith from The Cure. How'd <laughs> 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 oh they get him God. in the book? Yeah, it it is it is kind of uh, strange the the visual choices that they made. I will say that Oliver's uh casual outfit it, at the beginning of the issue looks exactly like how someone who's green arrow would dress casually right exactly yeah yeah like, exactly i'm like no that's the, like, like you look at him Ren on the street guy guy and you're like that's outfit. green arrow that's the renfest guy outfit like that's that, like, <laughs> it just is no i i um i feel like the i i like i think the clothing is like over the top but like in a period appropriate way and I think a lot of the times in comics, clothing is over the top and like literally 10 years behind. Yeah. And so to me, it being over the top, but actually contemporary felt like, well, that's better than usual, you know? Um, and I find it at least visually interesting to yeah. look at. I mean, look, we're not all Ramon who like actually is driven by the like pop everyone... culture zeitgeist <laughs> of fashion. Yeah. Ramon would have had everyone in this issue just wearing the sickest uh, like Nikes. No, I mean, that's yeah, not what I would course. do. It's all character based. But the, <laughs> I the, know. the point is that, you know, it. you're right in that it's like it is of that time, but it's just a little too cartoonish. It's a little too weird. I think it's mostly the colors in, in that regard. Like people are just not wearing matching Possibly clothes. Possibly the color choices. People are just not wearing clothes that match at all ever big purple coats with like pink leggings insane um, but it's 1987 like insane it's very <laughs> possible it's very no, possible it's, it's 1987 like look i i wasn't very old then but i was alive and like no that all seems right to me <laughs> frankly um i don't know the one part um, that really got me uh just again like just going through the first issue was his origin story in this is it's it's presented as he got he got crashed and that's when he lost his money. Like one of the things that I like about green arrow that this, I think sort of retcons away is in the older ones, he realizes like, Oh, I'm a capitalist fat cat. I'm giving away my money. I don't, I don't need this. And this, it was that he was scammed by some people that were like, he thought were friends and they dumped him off the side of a boat. And then he sort of like put together like, you know, a, a bow out of, out of like sticks and <laughs> shit. And then he just like went survivalist mode. Which is like that's always been part of it. The survivalist mode has been, but it it goes a little like libertarian fantasy of like self like you know being self sufficient in that way. The thrill, the thrill of the hunt. And he like um, the one thing that also is like in he says here that sorry he says here that there they that people change the story or like people misremember like what happened. Like that's yeah, part of like, the retcon. Yeah, like where... he was a 
he he took down pirates right. or people say he took down pirates right. no but, but I love it he's under he's underplaying himself he's like they say I took down all these pirates but he's like it was just two stoned guys and I like that he's like no it was really not that impressive actually but, and like but that's, that's fun the, to me but that's the thing where I'm saying like why did why did he take down the two hippies <clears throat> yeah I saw that and I was like is he a narc what right. is no, what's the deal here he needed to get on the. He needed. They. They, they were like. The, he needed to get on the boat to get rescued. Like, that was absolutely. It was narc stuff. Narc like behavior. when you see the when you see the people he took down, they have like flowers in their hair. They're they're cool. And they're like, just chilling. And this man. They were chilling, toking. Yeah. This white man narked them out. Like I think it, there is a way to present that origin story where it's very like sort of, like you know Jack London, you know about mm-hmm. a man in nature, and you can still have. Like that—that's how he forges his socialist sort of streak or whatever. But instead, it's like he goes on there. He's like, "Wait, are these men illegally selling weed? I'm gonna narc them out." <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, I was offended. Uh, another note about the art is uh, some of the things that show sort of like Mike Grell's um, uh, weak spots with the with the art is. He's breaking the 180 rule left and right, right, no pun intended. Like, he is flipping arrow directions uh, everywhere. And, like, it it became very difficult for me to follow some of the action when I would see some characters on the left side and then an arrow shooting to the left, but it was the left character shooting somebody. Like Like, the very climactic scene where the head um uh, corrupt person the head ex-cia guy finally gets got like the arrow shoots in a completely opposite direction from the outside that yeah it, it would have been so easy to just flip that it was there's some confusing stuff here where like because he has two archers you really have to like um you really have to be careful about that kind of stuff. So that's like, mm-hmm. he makes some bad storytelling choices in that regard because like, yeah, he gets, I get that they show there's two different kinds of arrows. Like the, the, yeah. the feathers are different colors, but when you just see the front half of it going through somebody's body, I can't tell. And it's bloody. Yeah. And it's it's bloody. a bloody front half. So there's some, there's some weird um, stuff with it like that. Like there's story choices where I respect how big he's going and how wild he's getting with it. <clears throat> but, mm-hmm. It's confusing and it's weird. And that's all. Yeah. One side note. Um, and this is more just a note from like watching the CW stuff and seeing it here. Like the fact that there is a green arrow in this city, uh, but there's there they also just assume there's a Robin Hood killer. <laughs> like Yeah, there's a part like in the Green Arrow universe, people are getting killed by arrows like twenty four seven. But Green <laughs> Green Arrow's like, No, 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 that was a different archer. Like I I'm I don't kill. I love like if that guy's dead, that wasn't me. I love that uh yeah, he shows up with uh in the with the cops this is narc yeah he shows up with the cops and he uh they're telling him about the the they're telling him about the robin hood killer and he's just like oh that ain't me and they're like oh okay well if you say so <laughs> he walks in dressed like robin hood he's like wow that's crazy who who did he's that literally dressed like that robin is hood. white privilege and they're that just like privilege it must be some asian chick somewhere i it couldn't be this man Look, this this arrow is Japanese. You should be looking for a Japanese woman. They're like, man, you seem to know a lot about these Japanese arrows. It's like, yeah, weird. I just like arrows. Don't 
It's not. It's not because of that. It's not my style. It's, it's not my not style. It's not what I do. <laughs> um. There's this note that like he also points out is like it can't be me. These eagle feathers drive out evil. <laughs> As you know, like, I would never do that. Yeah. yeah, no, my my That's toxic. my arrows have different feathers yeah. that don't do that. Um. Oh, I was gonna say one last thing, like uh, 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 uh about the beefcake. Uh, Oliver Art, I don't know if you you saw like a recent tweet that was like, either you have a nude window neighbor or you are the nude window neighbor. <laughs> Oliver is the nude window neighbor. Oh yeah. Like he's like straight up butt naked in front of a giant glass uh, balcony door just staring out. That that's that's got to be uh, somebody's bane. That's actually a theme that continues in future comics of this Grell series that aren't even drawn by him. Just one. Just have him be naked. He, he yeah, like scripted. Yeah. He has to there's be just, butt naked. There's just a lot of Oliver like standing around being naked. It's in like, the character that's beautiful. Series. And in, and in a comic environment where like that just not standardly happening with male characters, it's kind of like, no, this is a choice someone made. And you know, like it's, <clears> a, it's, a, it's appreciated, right? There, like it's, yeah. it's yeah. not fair that, you know, and I mean, whatever. Anywho, there's but, a oh scene, yeah, sorry, you were about to say. Oh, something. there's a scene where he's like, he's like following uh, Black Canary, and she's annoyed because he's like, she's like, I know what he's doing. Like, he's also driving like a Rolls Royce or something very not like subtle. A, a green Rolls Royce. <laughs> that's his Batmobile. Yeah, he, he, no, she calls it the Yuppie Mobile. It's not a Rolls Royce. It's like a Lexus. It's like oh, a, okay. it's like a fancy car, but like a, but like a, a fancy car that you would see and not like stare at it. Sure, you know what I mean. It's for yeah. her flower mm-hmm. shop. She's got he's got the he's got her flower shop logo on his car or mm-hmm. on their car. And he's like wondering, like, oh, man, I hope she doesn't notice me. It's like you're driving a car with her <laughs> name on it in your color, your signature color. Um, but it was very it was very progressive of him to let her do her thing. Yeah. Even though it no, ended up not going very well. It didn't go very well. He probably should have followed her a little closer because that's how she ends up getting kidnapped, tortured, and everything. But there, the scene that really got me on that was he goes to where one of the people had been, one of the guys had been killed, like one of the CIA guys, mm-hmm. and he sees a chalk outline on the ground. And <laughs> there's an arrow. They like they <laughs> did the chalk outline, and they also drew the arrow <laughs> on yes. the chalk outline. And like you know that that chalk line artist got their shit off that day. They were like, "Damn, I'm gonna be an artist. I'm gonna." <laughs> this person was shot by an arrow. I'm gonna have the arrow. I took that note. I made that note. I I saw that panel and it was so amazing that they had like the dead guy on the floor and they threw that additional line just so you knew what got him. Yeah. <laughs> this man was shot to death by an arrow. Yeah, there's some pretty oh. painful shot um people getting shot with arrows moments in this. Yeah, oh, some oh, good but... some good violence here. Oh, one thing I want to point out though for future in the comic actually is that like the impact of Black Canary getting kidnapped and tortured like continues to make right. an impact in the series 
but like is addressed by going to couples therapy. Whoa, really? And like, mm. right? And like, that's so good. Like, yes, normalize that. That's like what you should do. And like, and he's t- Oliver's totally like, look, this isn't just your problem. This is our problem. And like, we should go and talk to someone. And like, this comic is so pro therapy that makes me very, very happy. Mike Grell is very in touch with his his sort of feminine side, and that's a beautiful thing to witness. Well, just like Green Arrow, Green Arrow that. is too, and that's why he had to go fucking making a comic where he just getting people absolutely obliterated by arrows in their fucking yes. face but okay. and they're cia agents so we love it they're cia agents so fuck it right yeah. exactly mm-hmm. and one and one other one other thing i want to note about the fridging is um i do recommend you know the series that continues like after the longbow hunters is still good and i enjoy it and um in the letters page so i actually have like very poor quality print version of the four of the first four issues of the Green Arrow series that comes mm-hmm. right after Longbow Hunters. There is a letter from a female fan writing in saying, "Like, hey, I think it's fucked up that you had Black Canary get raped to further Oliver Queen's storyline." Like, she's literally calling out fridging in a comic yeah. in like 1987, <clears throat> and we still are having to have this argument in 2021 almost like so it isn't like oh women just like woke up one day and decided that sexism was bad and now they expect us to like know all their rules no female comics readers in 1987 were writing in about how fridging was bad they didn't have that term until gail simone cooked it up but like the people were complaining about it already this isn't new this is like a not a new not a new yeah, thing. Yeah, it's, it's the revisionist history of all these uh, fake gamer boys or like fake geek boys mm-hmm. who think that this is a new phenomena. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I always, I'm always, um, I wouldn't, I guess not the word skeptical or anything like that, but I'm always a little bit like when people describe everything as fridging, I'm always a little bit like, ah, like, you know, I, lo- I, I like the nuance of it a little bit. Like when you, like, that's why I like doing this, right? Like, we could mm-hmm. talk about it and mm-hmm. talk about the positive stuff that came out of it, even if that was fucking bad. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and what, one thing I one thing I always hate is when people boil that down to it being like a simple like soundbite thing. Like, oh, it's just fridging. And you could have a discussion about that. And like, that's nothing about like nothing against Gail for like starting that conversation because I think it needed that like you know sort mm-hmm. of. You know, it needed that kind of like, and it became a conduit for right. the conversation. Yes, right. But exactly. what I what I hate it. is when mm-hmm. it's like two degrees away from that, where people would just say, "Oh, that's fridging," so I'm going to disregard it, which is you know, like ha- like it, if you engage either like you don't have to engage with the material at all, like you know, first of all, but if yeah. you're going to engage with it and criticize it, my, one of the things I always hate is when it's just like, "Oh, there's fridging in this," but don't explain why or how. Say it's bad because of this, and then no further. You know what I mean? Which isn't like I'm oh, so that's, with you. I'm never like oh, I'm that's so the worst you. thing you can do. But I'm always like, couldn't you? Yeah, it's give like more? once you create these. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, once it's you so create easy. these standards, mm-hmm. it, it 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 loses all its nuance. It, like something like that kind of happens with the Bechdel test, where mm-hmm. it cannot be the end all be all of if something uh, is. Uh, uh, feminist or or positive at all it's just one rubric i agree and i think it's a real problem and you know as someone who loves to read silver age and bronze age comics and reads a lot of superhero comics and like a lot of stuff by men and like i i don't like the idea that like 
just because something has stuff in it that's fucked up, you can't also enjoy it anyway. Like I can sit right. here and like we can joke about the way about the things this book does wrong and we can talk about the things that we like and have like a nuanced perspective and talk about it. And it's interesting. I don't want to look at a piece of art that just is like everything about it is exactly how I would want it or do right. it and has 100 percent exactly my politics and da da da. And I'm not going to tell a woman like I would totally be like, hey, guys, content warning on this comic for you know, a whole, I, and I totally. would like give them the list of the content warning things is you don't, ha you, you don't have to read this, but the idea that <clears throat> I shouldn't read this because there's stuff in it that is like sexist is fucked up. I'm sorry. Yeah. I can read what the fuck I want. Yeah. This so. book gets a content warning uh, for sure. It's like oh, yeah. third page in a woman is being stabbed. Yeah. Like this should be, this should be clear at least going in. Right. It's like, you know, as, as you know, um, Latinx, you know, guys and stuff like there's a, I love looking at stuff from like 1960 worth like heavily anti-Mexican, like racism kind of stuff in it. I'm fascinated by it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, one time I went to this like used record store and I bought um this record that was by a comedian. I can't remember the name of it. I have it right here, but I can't remember the name off the top of my head. But it was this guy who was like a, a white dude who would paint his face brown and do like the 1960s Mexican accent of like, Si, senor, Oof. like that kind of stuff, and yeah. I bought it. I bought it, and the person at the register was like, "Um, you know what this is, don't you?" And I'm like, "Motherfucker, you're selling it. <laughs> like, what do you? If it was a problem, it shouldn't even fucking be here. I found it. Sell it to me. Like, I know what it is. I'm Mexican. You're white. <laughs> you know. Um, but that yeah. that always that always gets me. It's like I can. I'm I'm an adult. I can process this critically." And, you know, it's the thing is that record wasn't funny. It would kind of bum me out. Like, I mean, <laughs> there's so many good things you could say about Mexicans back then, and they just didn't do any of them. Uh, oh, but, you yeah. know, I, I grew up loving. Um, yeah, you made the conscious choice. I grew up loving Speedy Gonzalez. And that, you know. Oh, wow. That's nothing. There's nothing like, you know. Speedy's a, a positive Latinx representation, I think. He was he was definitely the good guy. He was the good guy in all the things. He always got over on the gatos. He had a superpower, which was like being super fast, no, which is you, uh, a completely cool. Now, if that power. if that was about Slowpoke Rodriguez, I'm like, oh, that's kind of fucked up. But it wasn't yeah. it was about Speedy Gonzalez. Um, but yeah, no, like I, I, I get what you're saying, Lolana. Like it's like let me let me decide if I'm okay with this. Not saying like don't like I don't want to go in blind every time to like this kind of shit. But like I'm mm -hmm. an adult. I can I can. I can understand this. I can intellectualize this on my own. Yeah. Especially when we're talking about something that is uh, now a historical document. Right. Yeah, totally. Right. I mean, and I, and, and, and I also like, look, like, I, you know, Ramon and I have talked about this before. Like, I'm like a huge Kirby fan. He's a huge Kirby fan. And I mean, to me, like, I can see the, the bones of the feminism in a lot of what Kirby creates. And is it, like what I would make as a contemporary feminist treatise? No. Is it what a feminist doing serious intellectual labor and criticism would be doing if she was writing it even at the time in the 60s? No. Yeah. But like it's trying and I appreciate the ways in which it tries. Yeah. Um, and, it's genuine. And I, it's genuine and it's interesting. And like, you know, I, I, I'm not saying anybody else has to give something credit for trying. But for me as a reader, I, I do give things credit for trying actually. 
Um, and I'm not every, if, if you know if you as if you the hypothetical you doesn't doesn't feel that way that that's to you but to me like I find that intent interesting yeah. and how do they perceive like what does what does that look like to them uh, you know at, at, at as they're trying to do it um, and I think it's interesting yeah yeah um, so. I mean, I don't, I don't want to cut it off there because I feel like there's so much we could talk about this book. It was, it was actually like, I'm really glad you, you picked this because I'd never read it. Like I said, I've owned it for like a decade, but, um, any mm. final thoughts on it? Like what, let's give up the big wrap up of like what we thought of the three issue longbow hunters. Uh, you want you want to start, Elana? Sure. I mean, I I've said a lot of it, but I guess my end cap would be like I I think this art is interesting. Yeah. And even if it's sometimes not structurally like perfect when it comes to like you were saying like oh this anger this arrow came in here and they're breaking the one eighty and as I was saying some some of the posing has physics that aren't great like <laughs> right. I think the 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 faces and the acting. And I love the way you described it, Danielle, about like, it, this feels like it's an actual like artistic artifact, like I, I, it's so strong and interesting to me. And it's, and the book is like a weird combination of elegant and quirky. Yeah. Um, and that I find endearing. And, um, and it, and it reads very propulsively. It's not like one of those old comics where you feel like you're slogging. Like, no, you can just yeah, right, I agree go with right through it. Very engaging. And the, I like the, you know, I haven't read all of the Grail Green Arrow because there's a lot of it and some of it's not even online, but, um, but I've, I've liked the Grail Green Arrow stuff that I've read. I've enjoyed it. And, uh, folks might want to check it out. Yeah. Dan, you want to go or are you still... Yeah, I, I generally I think that uh, CW Arrow is great, and I just want to talk about CW. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. No, this this book has been eye opening because I'm it, it, as a historical document, it is a look back at this era where art got to be not uh, necessarily completely polished. Like we're so used to uh, uh, standards in comics that to see a book that's like watercolored um to see the act like an actually painted book to see like these moments in which he does break out into like these beautiful loving pencil sketches of like portraits of oliver um you you do feel like you're witnessing something special um there are story elements where I will feel like it, 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 like even though there is a sort of like a progressive element when he's talking about, for example, like the enemies are like the CIA. There's definitely a lot of like reactionary stuff in mm -hmm. how the like random street goons, like the 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 roving band of rapists, are are are. Uh, like the the character of of the uh streets full of crime yeah is, is very it, like um they they'll 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 do certain things like for example they'll be like hey i have rights like whenever like green arrow finally like puts an arrow through one of them they're like you can't do that i have rights it really feels like they are um using uh arguments that real world for example activists would be trying to use to to explain like why 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 police violence 
is mm-hmm. wrong. Like they would say like, hey, I have rights. You can't do this to me. That like uh, using that uh, dialogue or like those lines, putting them in the mouths of a very clear characters of evil people uh, as they're being punished uh, that that kind of thing would like throw me off every once in a while but um the general like w- once i got to the point where they were when they finally finished the first issue and the slasher is dead and you can get into the the japanese internment as a topic and explore the the brutality that that went on there you you get some genuine introspection of America's flaws, um, and 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 that felt redeeming. That that felt like I understood that uh, there was just attitudes and stereotypes, and especially coming off of like Speedy being a junkie, that there that that there was sort of like this anti-drug, anti-street mm-hmm. sentiment going on throughout, uh, like. All of Green Arrow, I, I think, or like all DC for, like, books. Every comic, like, can you think of yeah. a superhero comic where that isn't the case? Yeah, that exactly. Like, it, it is. It is. Uh, it's inevitable. It it came with the time. So while that was happening, the fact that they were still able to do some real uh, criticism of uh, American tactics is is redeeming. Uh, I think I I think that summarizes my thoughts. Let me look through my notes. <laughs> um, something that I found funny was like uh, a sex worker saying, "Hi boys, how how are they hanging?" <laughs> like that that was that was very nice. Um, but yeah, uh, fascinating read. Uh, one last note is like I miss when books could be like this in the sense that this was uh, uh like longbow hunters wasn't an arc it was just three issues but it was three long issues and it was a contained story like it's a type of uh format that doesn't exist now well that's not true like they just did like the black label books come out and they're almost exactly like that well are are they like this yeah wonder woman dead earth was kind of like that oh yeah that's true that's true um but this was kind of in continuity as well like this is yeah. Like part of continuity, well, but at the same time, it was separate. Yeah, th- this was an interesting time for DC where everything was kind of in continuity, but not like, and that's what kind of what they're doing now. It's like they're, which, you know, I like that, but it, it remains to be seen how much they're going to keep doing now that like they've cut a lot of the people that were making those books, like editorially. But yeah, yeah. like they, it, this was in continuity, but it was like, it, it was like selective. Like, you know, this Green Arrow didn't show up in Justice League. Yeah. One last thing. I think Green Arrow <laughs> killed a dog. Yeah, I did think he, sh- he might. Well, it's unclear to me. I looked at it. I'm like, did he? Is the dog? I don't know. It's complicated. That arrow doesn't have a boxing glove at the end. <laughs> oh, no, it's, he didn't it's shoot right, it. It no, went right went through him. Pier. It went off the pier. That's what I thought. No, but there's another. The, the white dog goes off the pier, and oh. there's another dog oh. with another guard that definitely has an arrow going through oh, it. Anyway, that's my final note. Dogs aren't even people. <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah, my thoughts on it are, I mean, you guys pretty well summed it up, but a few things that I had was I've been watching <clears throat> a lot of Paul Verhoeven movies and this kind of just feels in the vein of like basic instinct, which I love. Mm. Like I could see it being like that tone when I read it, 
that's the energy that I get from it. Like this, it was that era of like thrillers. And I love that they made a comic, not like thriller Trevor Von Eden, but I love that they made a comic that was like an adult thriller where they were able to like show sex, show violence and not like have it be for children. And yeah, this was an adult book. Yeah. I'm not mm-hmm. like against, I'm not against books for kids or whatever, but I do love that. This is straight up. Like if you're a child, you should not be reading this. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. This is a book that was very, uh, very deliberately an adult comic and it reads that way and it looks that way. Even the things I don't really like about it. Like it feels like a middle-aged person's comic, which is neat. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, oh, the other thing that we never we didn't really touch on was that they give him a redesign in this, uh, mm-hmm. Black Canary gives him a new costume or I think you might've mentioned it like, but it's basically same color scheme as the old one, but they get rid of the trunks over the tights in lieu of just like a, a bottom half of a, of a tunic and they get rid of his hat for a hood, which I hate because I love oh. that hat. Hmm. Um, the hat to me is, is so good. It's so sick. And the hood, I'm just like, whatever, like you're not spawn. You're not like, you don't need to be, I don't need a dark green arrow, you know? And but that is something is that like they a Robin put on Hood the thing, right? Like, yeah, Robin yeah. Hood, Hood, I don't know. Yeah, but like, you know, I don't need it. I like the hat. It's one of the elements that they brought to CW. Yeah, it's a CW thing. I like, I like the jaunty hat with the red feather. That's sick. <laughs> um, it is a dope hat. Yeah, there's a uh, also very bad punk representation. Oh God, mm-hmm. yeah. As a you know, I'm not punk myself, but. As a person who enjoys punk, punk adjacent, music, I'm a punk. I'm punk adjacent, and just the worst punk representation you could possibly ask for. Um, yeah, fuck the CIA. That's the last. That's my last note. Shout out Shadow. Fuck the CIA. Uh, Hell yeah! Great book. Great, great comic. Um, despite the flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Anyways, let's move on from that. Which, you know, I'm so glad that you had us read it. But I, I did want to talk to you. We didn't want to do, like, I don't if you listen to one of the ones where we've talked about, like, comics, we'll usually just exhaust one issue and really, like, take yeah, it apart. Yeah, we, we went two hours into Civil War last episode. Yeah, it was, uh, and we had Tamara on, and we were, had stuff to talk about, and uh, we didn't get to any of it. So I was like, Daniel, we can't do that again this time. We talked we, it out. I was we like, timed it. I was like, Daniel, we need a hard out at around an hour to an hour and a half. And that's where we're at right now. So this is perfect. This is beautiful. Cause now I want to talk about just politics. I want to talk about activism 2.0 and I want to talk about graphic policy radio. So, uh, can you just describe to our audience what organizing 2.0 is and can you give us a summary of roots camp which you just did yeah yeah so um back in like 2000 and i god i'm so bad at my own life chronology it was like a million years ago maybe 2008 i don't know i was at a conference and um it was one of the conferences where it was like two people talking about politics and digital organizing and the internet. And it was all very, this is, this is pre social media and it's current, you know, form. Sure. Um, 
and uh, somebody put up together a sign for an ad hoc session that was like, I want to talk about Newton, uh, about blogs and the working class. And I'm like, oh, I want to go to that session. So I went to that and it was just me and the person who put up the sign. And so we decided that we thought that maybe there was a need for there to be a conference um, that would be about what we would now call digital organizing um, and what was happening with community-based organizations and union locals and labor groups working in the New York area, which is where I'm based. Um, because we saw there was this gap where like some of the folks doing the, some of the most important organizing work still weren't doing things like running a good activist email list or anything like that. We wanted to bridge that gap. So since then, uh, my fellow co-conspirator Charles Lenschner and I have been running a conference where we teach digital strategy to members and staff of community groups and local campaigns and unions. And um, when we say community-based organizations, like I feel like the one that everybody has heard of is the one that's been demonized, which of course is ACORN, who was demonized because they were <laughs> kicking ass. Right. But if that's, but, but by which I mean organizations of people who are working together um, in a grassroots way and have elected leadership and stuff like that. Like, I don't mean like, charities like save the right, blah, right. Blah. like no this is like yeah. community groups um and you know we teach skills like writing social media content to mobilize people and show up at rallies and drive volunteering and fundraise and how to harass companies online that's one of my big callings in life is to make companies miserable using the power of the internet <laughs> so oh, like, it's like it's like one of my passions that's like what i teach so uh, so this is a conference. It's not just me telling people things, because Lord knows there's a million and one amazing practitioners. And we wanted to create a space where folks who do this could share our skills and like talk to people who do this stuff for a living and people who do this stuff just because they give a fuck and are you know doing this in their own time. That's awesome. So we yeah, are, when, thank you. Oh, I was going to say when we, I got in, I got, I did, I did a lot of, uh, I would go to a lot of like local activism meetings pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, after like 2016 and, you know, I went to like a, you know, um, what's it called the, our revolution at our mm -hmm. revolution meeting. Yeah. And that was really great. Cause it kind of mainstreamed it for people who maybe didn't know where to get in on that kind of stuff because Bernie was a national candidate. And because, uh, it was just the people who had worked for the Bernie campaign during the primaries were like, well, we got to do something. So let's like focus our resources and like doing this. And then all those people that were doing that were already part of their own local organizing groups that it was pretty, it was pretty great to go to those things, meet with people who had like dedicated their lives and all their free time to these causes. And as a comic book artist, it's like, well, I'm at my table, you know, all fucking day, like working, but I would like make time to go do that because it just felt so rewarding. And I was trying to like post about it and like, you know, do stuff like that to let people know, like, there are outlets for you that you don't feel like powerless. And that's yes. why I think it's so great that you can do organized 2.0 where, you know, people say it's like, Oh, it's just like, you know, hashtag activism, but that stuff can make a difference if you're loud enough and that there's a big enough sort of like support base. Right. Right. Exactly. Like, you know, there has to be organizing behind it. Like one person doing one thing, that's just activism, but organizing yeah. is mobilizing large groups of people to work together, develop strategy together, take action together in strategic and powerful ways. And that can happen online and that can happen in person. And like, we need it to happen in both of those places. Um, and you know, what, what, what really, what really made 
a digital organizing compelling to me um, as someone who was kind of part of the, f- the first generation of folks in that space was is I didn't have to beg like mainstream media to cover what I was doing anymore. Like we didn't have to send press releases out to a corporate media that is interested in not covering what I want them to. <laughs> like we can take our message straight out to people. Um, and that was one of the things that drew me to, you know, doing digital for, for organizing. Um, but I also would say like for me, you know, I, comics artists and writers, the specific skills of art and writing that folks have are so useful and important for our communicating. Um, mm-hmm. You know, gifs and memes is like our modern propaganda and people right. like teach and learn things and share them and like creating art to communicating political messages is extraordinarily important. So you know, definitely don't underplay the importance of having those skills. I always am trying to hire artists as well to like do paid work for things too. So yeah, I love uh, Eli Valley, who I feel like is just one yeah. of the like one of the great like sort of political cartoonists of like the left, and yeah. I constantly will retweet his stuff. I think he's amazing. Um, he uh, like I, I want to try to do stuff like that, but because the way the kind of work that I do is like so different. I'm always a little like hesitant because I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I could get something out in that like succinct of a of a image. But I've yeah, there's there's an incredible strength to Eli Valley's images and and what he conveys. I I understand the sentiment, Ramon. Like uh, having a deep political urge and wanting to express it in 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 the in our medium is uh easier said than done yeah I mean, and like there i've done little things like you know even like just uh sometimes i would like uh go to cons and i would always make sure to have like a bernie sanders print and a lot of times i would give them away for free sometimes people would insist to like give me money or like mm-hmm. a lot of times i would just take that money that i would sell a print from and just like donate it to some cause you know because it feels a little weird to take money for like a drawing of bernie sanders but you know, it was like uh, I would when I would go to protests, I would make signs and stuff. So that always felt cool too. You know, there. Uh, would you have any advice for like people who are listening to this? I mean, at this point, if there are people that are listening to this for the last like few episodes, they might be interested in like getting involved with some kind of you know organizing or activism, but don't really know if that's like something that they can do beyond just like donating a couple bucks, like. Is there, like, what would your advice be to somebody like that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I definitely think that for folks who are, like, artists in particular, like, we need your special skills. Um, I mean, the, 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 the ability to visually communicate powerful things is, like, so important. But for everyone, you know, look to see, like, what are the community organizations that already exist where you live? And the internet and social media are particularly good at helping you do that. And, and figure out what are the ways that you can be involved. Um, you know, it, right now, um, there is sort of a, a I'm, in, I'm in New York, and I'm very involved in New York stuff. And we're about to enter crazy political season in New York because basically every city council seat is open and the mayor mm. and, and, the, and like the DAs. I mean, like every fucking election in New York. I is saw about that to Andrew Yang is running. Oh. Exciting. You must oh, love that. Make it stop. But anyway, so, you know, the point is local. I know that not everybody's elections are on odd years, but um, 
pay attention to what's happening in your local elections. Pay attention to school board, which really matters. Local um, elections. Think about, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, local elections are extremely important. That's what um, I was going to say. It's local yeah, exactly. They're so important. And I don't think people really understand it because it's not like in the news. It's not this thing that, you know, it's not the thing that they interact with because of the way our media is structured. Which is just like, it's not an MSNBC, somebody who's like to the left doesn't really uh, comprehend it. Or if it's not national, it doesn't get as many views, so it's not as profitable. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like capitalism ruins that, right? But, Mm -hmm. you know, like in California, we were, I've been part of a single payer for California thing from like before. I had really amazing neighbors uh, when I moved to Stockton that were like these old uh retired teachers that were real big leaders for um medicare for all mm-hmm. um the baileys but uh they i would go to their house and they would just like tell me for hours about this stuff you know and i eventually would go to the meetings with them you know and go to like some of their protests i would make signs for them when i was younger before Aww. i got involved that's actually the thing is they would like uh pay me before before I would go to their meetings, they would they would like pay me in like soda or like tea or whatever hmm. to make uh, protest signs for their for their rallies, and uh, they're just super they're super great about that kind of stuff. And it, like sadly, in the middle of COVID, not because of COVID, because she had been battling cancer, um, hmm. Carol Bailey was like one of my big role models and like you know, uh, like a neighbor, a friend. But, you know, somebody I really looked up to, she had passed away and it really it it was really a weird thing to experience, like just knowing that she didn't get to see that finish line. But no, also knowing, like talking to her husband and her, it wasn't about that. It's not about the individual person with a lot of this stuff. And one of the things that is making me think about this, just like get back on track was um there's big it's a big news thing right now that because Kamala Harris is vice president they have to fill that senate seat the person that they fill that senate seat with is um Alex Padilla who is um a Mexican American I think he was a state um he was like a state senator yeah I think so um I can't remember his exact position but I you know I didn't know exactly what his record was and what little I found out of course is not great like if you're getting the position right now to get to fill that seat, it's not going to be because you're like a very powerful progressive or a leftist <laughs> or anything in Congress. It's because they know exactly who you are. And I found out that he was one of the people who we had been like arguing with because he wouldn't because uh, state senators basically were able to veto every Medicare for all legislation. Doesn't matter that it's overwhelmingly accepted. It does, but every single time that it would bubble up senators could just write it off. You know, I think it went to Jerry Brown most recently and he said, well, we can't do it because Obamacare is about to come in. And if we're not, if we're not on board with that, then it's not going to be able to be successful. Well, it didn't work out and none of us have health care, and it's Mm -hmm. because of state senators. It's not because of who's president, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And just like little things like that, like little votes matter in the margins. And that's where you have real effect. 
They really do. The local elections, is, I mean, they really do. And the other piece is if you're someone who's like, oh, my God, what the fuck do we do about all these, you know, goddamn neo-Nazis? Like at the local level, you might find yourself in a position where you actually can support progressive candidates who will win. Like yeah. we could actually have a progressive mayor of New York who's not a lazy piece of shit. Like that can happen. <laughs> Andrew um, Yang, the Yang gang. Oh, stop it. You're <laughs> killing me, man. No, but like, but no, seriously, in New York, we've elected socialists to the state government, right. like multiple right. socialists to the state government right now. So you can have, um, you know, I don't like canvassing Republicans particularly, but I'm happy to talk to any Democratic voter and like help them support candidates who are actually going to change the world for the better. Um, yeah. And then there's always workers struggles right now that need your support. Um, right. You know, there is always like, especially with how shit's going and online, you know, I, I look, I'm not hardcore. I haven't been to an in-person protest since COVID. All of my shit I've been doing has been of online course, or yeah. by phone. There's meaningful things you can do online and by phone. I have a whole training about it. Um, but one of the things that we are particularly able to do is campaigns that are targeting companies that are using our power to make our voices heard against corporations because they are yeah. very brand conscious and spending a lot of their time promoting themselves on the internet. So, I mean, you know, when, yeah. And again, in California recently, we had that Uber Lyft bill Ugh, where they were so able sad. to just completely gut like worker labor rights. And the thing is where that was a brutal a, blow. We're at a yeah. very like sort of pivotal moment in history where they want to make they being corporations want to make um all labor like gig economy stuff yeah and it do, people don't think it affects them until it does and as comic artists you know um i as a comic artist i know firsthand that the gig economy like being you know uh a uh was a freelance worker like a i forget the the formal term for it but you know uh, uh, work for hire or, no, it's, uh, or contract contract yeah. yeah like a contracted worker or whatever the fuck mm -hmm. anyways being that is not it's not an advantageous position it's especially when you can't unionize and now they've made it like illegal to do so basically and it's just it's, yeah, it's literally it's what being being a comic artist has been for our generation and most no, of the generation just, like yeah, before every, us since the beginning but I yeah. want to emphasize that, like, even if Biden picks a shitty head of Department of Labor, which he might, we still are in a much better position to have labor laws that will protect organizing with Biden as president than we were with Trump. So I do not want people giving up like this law no, passing no. in California is really bad news. And they're going to try to export that same exact model all over the country. Mm -hmm. We yeah. know that. But well, we can exert like, force. We can, Right. We can fight back and like I, I, I feel like there's shit we can win. I really do. So like I think this is gonna be yeah. a particularly important moment for organizing. Um it's, for worker yeah, organizing and it's, for real. I think I think there is there are like sort of people that would suggest that it's like now that Biden's won and like look, I got pissed because he just won and immediately he backtracked on his immigration policy. Yeah. Like before it's like, it was oh my God, day one, God. we're gonna do this, this, and this. And people are like, All right, well, so day one and he's like, Well, more like uh, month six <laughs> maybe yeah. we'll see what happens like maybe he used up all his political capital then whoops then we just have all the same trump policies and they're like here to stay but you know like i i don't think that's a sign of like be discouraged that's a sign of like no now is when 
you fight him on this. Yeah, and especially with the worker rights stuff, because in his self-concept of his mind, he thinks of himself as being this champion for workers. And you and <laughs> right. I know he's not. He's not. But because that's his self-image, it is easier to sort of manipulate that into a direction that you want it to be. Like, I can't convince him that he actually secretly wants to defund the police. That's not... But um, yeah. I'm not saying we should stop. We should continue saying fucking defund the police. But I mean, but I think particularly for organizing well, folks in the comic space, organizing workers, we have real potential to do this because his self-concept is that he's a good guy about this. Well, Elena, actually, some of our research shows that that's not the greatest <laughs> term that we can use for that. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I, I hate that. Uh, I hate that whole conversation of like, well, yes, we all look, we'd all love to defund the police, but. It shows here that that's not really playing in middle America. So can you stop like wanting to not be gunned down in the streets? <laughs> it's so crazy. Abolishizes too extreme. I mean, that was where it started, right? It was, uh, yeah. was that same yeah. was like Sean McCoolie or whatever. Well, abolish like, has been a thing for a long time, but he's particularly good at memeing it. So he thinks that AOC started it and that she's the only one that like that can, uh, that is ruining basically like progressivism by, oh, by championing it. People have been saying abolish ice for a very long time from the immigrant community organizing world. It is not something new. I'm happy that he like went and made it really memeable. Like that shit is important. It's important. Yeah. Like that's useful. Don't get me wrong. But like if any, but I don't like revisionism of like, yeah, you know, whatever. Anywho. Um, so um, tell us a bit about, yeah. sorry, I don't want to get you too off track. Was there, Oh, yeah. The other thing I was going to say is this spring, probably in April, probably around Passover, because that's just when we tend to do this, there will be another Organizing 2.0 conference. And chances are this conference will largely take place online. And if you are someone who is interested in doing activism, either yourself or maybe you're interested in working in the nonprofit industrial complex or political campaigns and stuff like that, like you should come to my conference. It's really freaking cheap. And you will get to learn important skills and make good connections. And you can go on your computer, do it from anywhere in the country. Come on and join us. And that'll be in April. So that's yeah, if you my want to plug. come on again in April to Woo-hoo. talk about that, that'd be great. We awesome. can like before before this time. Because this time we're like, hey, do you want to do this the week before your, your conference your this time? Like, but is this, no is time. this where is this where uh uh viewers or listeners can like download the picture of a pig with the poop on its balls <laughs> that they send to different corporations is yes is this one of the strategies that is one of the strategies <laughs> no um i look forward to it we're, we're, yeah i'm happy to help you with that there the poop the poop pictures don't weaponize that picture that picture is pure it is lovely Actually, no, I have such amazing stories of completely taking over companies' hashtags and ruining their entire PR campaigns and getting good. <laughs> that's beautiful. It. Like, that's like what we do for that's what we do. Like, anyway, um, so yeah, fuck companies. Uh, anyhow, uh, but yeah, so that'll be coming up. And then you wanted to talk with me about Graphic Policy Radio, my podcast, I presume. Yeah. Graphic yeah. Policy Radio, we are old school. We've been doing this podcast since 2012. Good God. I do crazy. not recommend you go back and listen to episodes from A that podcast long ago. veteran. They, the show has only gotten better with time. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I'm all about interviewing comics, artists and writers and talking about them, about their work. But I also do a lot of roundtable conversations with other critics and with activists, like a pretty typical formula for me, which is what I'm putting together because I know I'm going to be covering that new Wonder Woman movie soon is 
I'll bring in someone from the organizing and political world, and I'll bring in a comics critic with left politics, and we'll have a conversation about the newest Wonder Woman movie, for mm. example. So that's the kind of shit we do on the show. Yeah, um, we're going to be talking about the Snyder recut. So I get I get it. We're like trying to do the same thing. It's all good, though. I want you guys in this space because, like, look, I'm one person with one particular voice, one particular analysis. And, like, we should have, like, we should, we, you, we should keep doing crossovers. We should have, like, a lot of show crossovers. Totally. I but it's important. Yeah, we, it's important to have I, you guys in this space, like, to have a specifically talk, Latinx show. When I talk to you about doing the show, I know that, like, I was, I, I, I know one of the big reasons that I talked to you about was that, Michael Brooks had just passed away and he was like a big sort of inspiration. I loved his like content and stuff, but one of the things that he was really good about was like using his platform to talk to like smaller creators and vice versa. And like, you know, trying to like network it as much as possible. That way you build that web. Yeah. That way, like I've discovered so many people through him that I would have never known about, you know? And yeah. I know that Rest in, in comics, Michael Brooks are big RIP but there was, uh, you know, there are other podcasts in this space that I just want to like make sure that we cross pollinate that way people understand that there is a web of that. But because of the way social media works, it's easy to not know that stuff unless, you know, you talk to those people or whatever. So like, I, I love it. I follow pretty much everybody that makes, that says positive stuff about our show and like kind of keep an eye out like, Oh, should we have them on like should we find out about them like we're still growing we're still like we're still small we're still trying to figure out how to get bigger but we yeah, we definitely consider like gutter boys like almost like a sister podcast uh or or <laughs> right. we're like the little sister yeah. at this point they they've been doing their thing for a while but we we definitely have a uh uh goals in common or or ideas that we want to uh, even if it's just uh, having fun uh, in the same vein, I think that there is a there is a lot of that cross pollinization that we should be doing. And speaking of which, actually, this is me kind of like plugging myself into uh, Elana's uh, uh, one one of the things that she's developing is that uh, you are developing a star trek podcast do you want to talk a little I, bit about I that i am this is the first place i've spoken about it other than my own show so originally i was just going to do a single episode um about ds9 because i just finished watching the uh, finale and i have feelings there's so the, many thoughts of, about in, that series I know. yes and in the process of working on it i was like oh fuck man I could just talk about DS9 endlessly. So many of us could. And the entire internet is doing a DS9 rewatch right now. It's beautiful and to see. I'm seeing a lot of is. people who are like having DS9 experiences for the first time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, this is, is my Star Trek show. Is this is my Star with, Trek. Deep Space nine, 9 is the... Is the no. No. Where he, where <laughs> she fought the rock and he gave her a, a rock bottom. No, the no. the rock isn't in this one. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, this sorry. is the one with the what are you talking about? with the the bald uh oh, black what? captain. Sorry, that's the problem this... with that show. Too many bald captains. Yeah, actually, but... like bald representation is beautiful, <laughs> and Star Trek does it in a way that I yeah. I feel good when I'm watching it. Uh, I'm but Deep Space it. Nine is is probably the most uh 
politically interesting, especially if you're mm-hmm. if you're thinking about this from like a leftist standpoint, the most rich uh, uh, well of of intersectionality in Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a reason. And so you're why focusing your podcast completely on completely Deep Space DS9. Nine. Completely DS9. I, I, I've, I have limited interest in listening to science babble that's not real and i have infinite Mm -hmm. interest in hearing people debate what kind of agricultural economy bejor should be shifting towards i'm like Mm -hmm. yes give me that content about social sciences uh also ds9 is very queer so between these two factors um, my co-host and i uh, sarah rash sarah daniel rasher we are like we're doing the ds9 podcast we will be bringing in different guests to bring different areas of expertise to the show. And we just finished taping the pilot yesterday. The pilot episode is all about everyone's favorite character, Garrick. So, Ooh. yeah, because he is everybody's yes. favorite character. Even if he's not your favorite character, he's still your favorite no, character. No, he's absolutely incredible and, and lovable. And, I don't know who that is. Uh, Ramon, you know Garrick. Garrick. He's a I Garrick. Never... He's a humble, plain, Garrick. humble tailor, a plain, simple he's tailor. He's a normal guy. Yeah. But, you know, I, I've space, never seen space, 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 space reptile. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't want to like dwell too much specifically on this because I know that this isn't Ramon's forte. I just, yeah. uh, I, I am, I'm just preemptively accepting your invitation to someday uh, talk about Deep Space Nine. I'm, I'm, I'm into it. Welcome. Throwing that energy out into the universe. Pitch me, That's you know, tight. like if there's a particular, no, seriously, if there's a particular topic within the DS Nine spectrum that you're like, I really want to talk about this. Pitch me because we have a lot of episode ideas and there's also places where I could imagine where I'm going to be recruiting specific guests to come in and fill in particular areas where, you know, Sarah and I, like we have specific our own backgrounds and orientations on stuff that I might want to bring other voices in. But um, you should also be like, Ilana, I've always wanted to talk about and I'll think about it because there's definitely so many different like especially when uh Aaron Eisenberg passed away uh yeah. this this past year um and the character of Nog is so incredible in and like just the 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 rehabilitation of Ferengis yes is 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 a is a fascinating topic with Deep, Deep Space Nine what do you think about the rehabilitation of Ferengis Ramon What's a Ferengi is that like a some sort of custard Yes, <laughs> I, never, I I genuinely have. It's I a like plate. Star Trek. It's a dish. I love Star Trek. I've never watched Deep Space Nine. One time I got kicked you... out of a comic oh shop because I was like, I've never seen it. I don't care about it at all. And like the guy who ran the store was like, "Get out!" And I was like, "What?" And he's like, "I kind of agree he was with joking. them." And he was like, "No, seriously, don't get in my store." And I was like, "I think he's fucking serious." And he's like, "You're gonna love leave. it." I'm like, so excited for you, Ramon. I'm not gonna watch it. It's so I'm much. so excited. So I'm so excited, Ramon, that you're gonna watch it. I'm now. so excited for you. That you've signed up to watch it. This is. Like, I'm so proud of you. Yeah. I don't know why you guys are saying this. No, like you are gonna be this so a beautiful happy journey. when you watch this. I'm so happy for you that you get to watch it for the first time now. Yeah. Congratulations, Ramon. Watch it. <laughs> oh, it's everywhere. It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. It's no, on I said I, pr- I said I probably won't watch it. I think I think I I think you will. I think, I, I think you will. I think you will. I think you will. You're like a leftist <laughs> who like makes comics. Come on, dude. Star Trek Deep Space Nine is all about the shit you love. So other than Odo wait. is a cop. Uh, I can't so I can't <laughs> wait for Daniel to go on your show. Tell me how great it went. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
So anyway, the show will be coming out soon. We are calling the show Deep Space Dive, a DS9 podcast. That's a good name. So stay tuned for that. And we'll, we'll have the first episode will appear on Graphic Policy Radio. So folks will be able to find it nice and easy there. But Look forward yeah, to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm on Twitter all the fucking time. You should probably stop me. That's the easiest way to reach me. It's E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. That's Elana underscore Brooklyn. Thank you. Uh, I was going to do the plugs in a little bit, but I was wondering oh, if you wanted to help us out with some of the... We got some iTunes reviews um, last week, we there was a bit of a controversy because we got a review. It was positive. Um, positive sh- in quotes. So we got one last week that said, from from not Ramon Villalobos, it said, great podcast. I specifically think Ramon Villalobos is a great host with profound wisdoms. Daniel, I could take or leave. Now, Daniel, for some reason, thought that I Whoever this that. person is, whoever <laughs> this person is, we know who it isn't. But whoever it who is. It's not. it's not me. But there was a there was some controversy, so we suggested people leave us reviews, and I want to read them on the show. The first one is from Filipino Warrior Wario, Filipino <laughs> Wario. Well, says, Ramon, you're already like an honorary Filipino. This is I already feel like it's gonna be against me. I'm sorry. It says, "Don't worry, Daniel, you're cool too." <sighs> there you go, five stars. All Don't right, worry, I'll take you're it. Cool, excellent podcast. Is the head? I'll take the consolation. Yeah, then there's another one. Absolute gem. There's nothing else like this. Five stars. Whoa. From Stinkmeaner3 says, Finally, a podcast about the comics industry that talks about the real issues. I love the hosts and their takes on the medium of comics. I love their insight and sense of humor. It's all great. So glad I discovered this. One tiny critique. Please fix the audio levels. I think that's about you, Daniel, because you don't have a great mic like I do. Hmm. So Um, I think that's mostly about you. Some people are always louder and quieter than others, and the intro was very, very loud. I know. I'm sorry about that. Also, one of the hosts constantly interrupts, and it gets annoying, LOL. That has to be about you. Uh, but th- I, I just I just want to get my piece Elena, who, Alana, who has interrupted more this episode, me or Daniel? Me. I think I'm pretty high up there, actually. Well, but between the, you, you're not a host, so it's kind of who between us that you think. Who do you like? Work? Who do you? Who have you like talking to more today? Well, well who's interrupted like, you more today? Much like your moms, I like you both equally. <laughs> um, I'll take it. That's fine. Okay. Well, I I, I'm sorry. I'm so, I, I might I might have interrupted a couple times. I, say, it's this it's this fear of like missing out. And they're not you're, like not getting my 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 shot. They say, please just let the guest finish talking, man. But overall, this is good. Excellent. Excited for the future stuff. That's great. Thank you, Stinkmeaner. Five stars they gave us. Another one is Flex Mentello is five stars by How Can Podcast Be So Bad? They hmm. say the only comics podcast. Listen to the sweet dulcet tones of Ramon Outlaw Villalobos and Daniel Irizari Irizari as they let <laughs> you know about what's what in funny book land. Five stars. These are all great reviews. If you can leave us a review, we'll read them on the show. We love this. This feels because good. Because it really gets to the issue of, like, am I a better host than Daniel? Which I think, yes. I think I'd, we're kind of... I'd say it's debatable. Well, we're having the debate now, but I don't know if it's really that debatable. I think I'm winning it. Okay. Well, that's how you feel. That's how you feel. Are you? Do you have any impressions for us this week? Um, uh, no. Not, to, okay. not this week. I... Uh, I'll work on something. I'll work on something for the for next week. Oh, good. 
So, um, yeah, I, I guess we'll let you go, Elena. But, um, yeah, any Ilana. any other? Oh, I'm so I'm so I'm so listen. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I, it's... I made it the whole Remote. way, and then so, I so you can remember it. It's Elana like Belana Torres. Yes, Ilana. it's exactly exactly like that. I I'm horrible. Um, but is there any other places where they could find you, the the listeners or list your podcast uh, other than yeah. Twitter? Graphic Policy Radio on every podcast platform that we could possibly think of. And um, I also do write about comics at Graphic Policy, although not as right. much because I've been in election hell. Um, but I do have I do have essays there. I'm actually, oh, yeah, I'm about to be on the Jack Kirby Museum is doing a live stream. I, I, I'm on Jack Kirby Museum live streams on occasion. And Ramon, I need to recruit you for those. It occurs to me. I don't know if you've actually connected with the museum. Um, But yeah, I'm going to be on another one with them about OMAC that we're taping this weekend, I guess, which would be my second live stream about OMAC from the Jack Kirby Museum on brand. I love OMAC so much. Um, So yeah, those are some good places to keep up with my work. And um, yeah. And out of curiosity, do you want to hashtag force the vote or are you a snake uh, technocrat. I am a total snake technocrat. <laughs> People should just send me gifts of snakes, like but like Snake Pliskin. Like send me gifts of Snake Pliskin from the state from New York. And Solid that's, snake. That's how you're going to make me change my mind about the right strategies to take, despite the fact that I do this stuff for a living. That's really real hard. quick. How, can we get your opinion on that? Because that is something that you are. That is your thing. So just for people who don't know. There's a whole thing on leftist Twitter. My, my roommate messaged me the other day, like, can you explain this? Because she was, like, <laughs> out of the loop. And I was like, ugh, I guess. <laughs> so there's this guy named Jimmy Dore who's a complete clown. Mm-hmm. And he's a former TYT guy who had a hair up his ass about uh, do not give Nancy Pelosi the speakership, like, what that Congress members should withhold their votes until there's a vote on Medicare for All in the House, which is, like... I like the idea of a Medicare for all vote in the house, but I don't think it has to be tied to like uh, taking down Nancy Pelosi, even though I obviously don't like Nancy Pelosi. Right. Um, yeah. No, nobody likes her, but the nope. Jimmy seems to need to give her like a black eye specifically <laughs> before doing anything else. When there's so much else that can be done right now, like, you know, there's, there's all these, these all, there's all these tangible actions. There's all these material interests that can be, uh, achieved in this ve- in this moment, like not a hypothetical like future strategy, and he's so obsessed with this AOC is a technocratic snake because she because she doesn't agree with his strategy, and he's somehow convinced like half of like online leftists to agree with him that she's she's actually not progressive enough and that she's actually the fraud with like this whole motherfucker's career has been just him being. Just like an annoying piece of shit. He's basically like like a left black pill. (laughs) Right. I mean, he's not an organizer. So like, what is his strategy? Like, why does he think he knows how how to do things versus people who are actually like in the thick of it? Like, I'm not. Demobilizer. Thank you. I feel like a douche being like, use appeal to authority to make your case. But like. This is one of those cases where, like, do you believe him or do you believe AOC? Like, a- additionally, yeah. literally every single organizer who's actually working on this issue in a serious way, like, for example, the National Nurses Union, like, they're like, right. wait, who does what? Like, yeah, this is. And well, also when you get hung up is... on a singular tactic, 
to, exactly. at the expense of relationship building and coalition. It's like very short-sighted, very short-sighted. So the, the whole thing is like, we all agree that Medicare for all should be passed, but Hell yeah. the way that we get there is, is not obvious. There's not a single one way to do it. He is insisting that we hold a symbolic vote to show only that a Democrats, there's too many corporate Democrats. Okay, but anybody who's following this closely, like if you didn't need that breakdown, <laughs> uh, you know who these people are. <laughs> like yeah. if you're that if you're that close into it that you know who Jimmy Dore is, you know who the corporatist Democrats are. Yeah. And if you don't, then this single vote in the middle of all this other shit is probably not going to rise above. It's not going to make the, the news that noise. way. It's not. So. It's it's been it's been a thing that I wanted to talk about just because I'm just like pulling my hair out over it because everybody that I listen to is like this is ridiculous <laughs> you know like cuz I listen to mostly people who are you know leftist people who are just like there's more than one ways to skin this cat and like him going ballistic over this is just silly so I yeah. was curious what your opinion was on this, but I kind of figured I I knew. I agree um, with you. <laughs> yeah. I just figured we we agree because it's it's. It sort of feels like lunatics. like 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 the the Twitter left kind of became crazy town for 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 a minute and, and it was like three weeks. You just yeah. have to avoid him. Like I I this is another virtue of you know focusing a lot on on state and local stuff is. I have only seen people talking about how Dor is an idiot. I haven't seen anybody talking about how he's great. And I don't even see that much talking about him, period. So there the are one, ways yeah. to cultivate your uh, Twitter feed. Um, oh, totally. To not it's just, have to there, deal with there that are certain There are certain people that I do respect who, uh, like, fell into this thing. Oh, that God. I'm just like, oh, God. Like, it makes me think less of them now. Because I'm yeah. like, how can you not see the obvious just like goofiness of his of his point of view yeah but um yeah so i'm you know i'm glad we're all on the same page <laughs> it feels good to just talk to reasonable people about this and the thing is like yeah mostly i'm only seeing people who are like what is wrong with this dude but i just in case anybody out there is clear we are technocratic snakes um th we're technocratic snakes on a plane <laughs> that's right we're technocratic um, snakes of christ which is one of my favorite danzig songs <laughs> um anyways daniel where can they follow you uh on on twitter if i haven't been blocked you can find me in, uh, at daniel irizari uh and instagram same and google just google me find me you can find me yeah, I'm basically the same with me, just my name. Uh, if you're listening to this, you probably know that. But also, um, the Patreon, patreon.com slash um, Flentayo. We are um, doing pretty good. Like, we're, you know, we're, we're still building. This is all listener-funded. We're going to get Daniel that microphone so people stop making fun of how bad his audio quality it is. He'll still hmm. be interrupting, but he'll be doing it with crisp... Let me let me interrupt you right now specifically yeah. because I do feel like we I need to point out we need to point out don't at at Mex Flentayo uh, at us right. at Flentayo just at Flentayo the right. Mex Flentayo is basically like a porn retweeter. Ha. Oh, is, is that what that is? Yeah, I I <laughs> thought it was just bikini stuff, but I scrolled down a little bit and it's full porn. 
Well, I could see uh, we have some. We have one listener, uh, our our good friend Jeremy Hadjid, who uh, keeps tagging them instead of us in tweets about our show. It's just at Flintalo. Yeah, me and Ramon are talking about making a move on on that username at some point. We're strategizing. I'm I'm just gonna keep I'm just gonna keep pushing the Flintayo brand. But you know the point is, our our Patreon. That's where you know if you want to support the show, do it there because that's that would be sick. We're gonna get Get a new mic. Um, and then after that, we're gonna find all kinds of new ways to make the show better. But uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening. And take it away, hell yeah, babies.